Father, may those words ring true in our hearts. That Christ is our only hope because He is our living hope. Thank You for the death of Jesus on our behalf. Thank You for the resurrection of Jesus and the hope that gives to us. So help us to claim that hope, to cling to that hope as we follow Jesus in a broken world. So now as we open your word together to hear from you through your spirit, taking these words and implanting them deeply within our hearts, I pray that you would give us eyes to see Jesus, hearts to love Jesus, hands and feet to obey Jesus, and knees to bow before Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, team, for leading us this morning. Let me just say to Pastor Dave, listen, what happened this morning with the PowerPoint just proves the fact that all we are and who we are is only because of Jesus. Amen? And so grace only works on people who sometimes mess up. All right? So I've been where he is. Um, there have been several times where my PowerPoint in preaching has been totally off. And many times you may not see that because Jenny up in the booth rescues me. Um, and so let me just say, we are here to worship Christ. So I would encourage you to open your copy of the Scriptures to Mark chapter 10 this morning. Mark chapter 10. I hope you have a Bible with you. If you don't, you'll find one near you, the church Bible. And um, you can open that church Bible to page 1006. And that's where we'll be this morning. As we are following Jesus as He lives His life on purpose for us in the Gospel of Mark. Now, now living Life on purpose, trusting Jesus in living that life on purpose for us is going to inevitably lead to living and loving and serving like Jesus, as he has done for us. And that's going to radically affect everything about who we are and how we live and love it's going to have far-reaching implications into every area and every aspect of our lives. And that's this scene right here in Mark chapter 10 this morning. So let's pick up the text in verse 13, and we'll read through verse 16. So it isn't a long text this morning, but it is an essential text. Here's what we read, Mark 10, verse 13. And they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is the word of our God intended for us as his people. 
On the screen, you're going to see a picture of our grandson, Wesley. Now, I love this picture, and some of you in this room, I just lost you for the entire sermon just because of this picture. I mean, he is now 11 months old. Now, isn't he the coolest kid on the face of the earth? I can't tell if he's going diving or flying, but I don't think he cares. You know, being a first-time grandpa, I've had to brush up on my children's songs. And that's not a bad thing because some of the simplest children's songs teach us some of the deepest theological truths. Now, I'm going to go old school here, so some of you young people, you know, with all your contemporary music, you're going to roll your eyes at me. But hey, listen, I, we have five kids, so rolling eyes doesn't bother me. How many of you remember the children's song, the B-I-B-L-E? Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Or, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones like this, to Him belong. They are weak. We're all weak, but He is strong. Simple songs, deep truths. One more. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. That's the key line. They are precious in His sight. It's that simple but big truth that we learn right here. It takes center stage in Mark chapter 10. It's the big idea that Jesus values children highly and loves children deeply and calls us to do the same. You know why? Because to come to Him, we've got to become like one of them. Jesus values children highly and loves them deeply. And He calls us to do the same because children are a gift from God. Children are the work of God. It's what we read in Psalm 139 verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together, God, in my mother's womb. Womb work is God's work. He doesn't just give life, he authors life, every life. And that's why Psalm 127 verse 3 says that children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, his reward. That's why Psalm 82 verse 3 says, Give justice to the weak and to the fatherless. Children are special to God because children are from God. They are his good gifts. That's why we value them. And then secondly, this text gives us another reason why we value them. Not only because they're His good gifts, but because they're His good picture to all of us of how we enter His kingdom. They point us to the truth that we must come to Jesus like a child. With empty hands, bringing nothing, contributing nothing, lacking and needing everything. In just a few weeks, that grandson I just showed you is coming for a visit. And oh yes, he's bringing his mom with him. 
But the entire time he's here, he's going to be a taker, not a giver. He's not going to make his bed or help with the dishes or take the dog out. You know what he's going to do? He's going to sit around. And he's going to crawl around. And he's going to make messes that he isn't going to clean up. We're going to have to feed him and change him and bathe him. We're going to have to do all the work for him. And we're going to love every minute of that because we understand that as as an 11-month-old young boy, he can't contribute anything to his stay with us. And that's the picture that Jesus is painting here of what it looks like for us to come to him. Like a child. Depending totally and completely and utterly on him to do all the work to bring us into his family and God's kingdom. And that actually fits perfectly with what Jesus has been teaching beginning in Mark chapter 9 about humility. It fits perfectly with what Jesus has just taught in the first 12 verses of chapter 10. That humility shows up first in our marriages where we love the, our spouse and serve our spouse like Jesus. And then it shows up in how we relate to children and love them and value them like Jesus Now, I need to say something right here at the very beginning because I know that a text of Scripture that highlights Jesus' relationship with children is going to elicit some very strong emotions from some of you. There are some in this room this morning who are struggling with infertility. And so I want to acknowledge you this morning, and I want to acknowledge that your struggle is real. And I want you to know that although I may not know who you are, that I pray regularly for those in our church family who are struggling with infertility. I also know that there may be some in this room who've had an abortion or have pressured a girlfriend or a wife to get an abortion. And I want you to know that this morning I am not standing up front here pointing a finger at you regarding one of the most painful chapters in your life. I'm not pointing at you. I'm pointing you and everyone around you to Jesus. Because with Him there is no sin too big for Him. It's Ephesians 1, verses 7 and 8, where we read, In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Get this, which He lavished on us. I love that word, lavished. Now, I don't know what word picture you get in your mind when you hear that word lavished and used, it being used in reference to his grace. But I get, I get this scene of a table all decked out with all the decorations, with all kinds of food, including steak from Texas Roadhouse. Don't worry, if you don't get that, you had to be here last week. I mean, everything you could ever want. It's just over, this table is like overflowing. It's more than enough. It's, it's too much. And that's the picture here. 
Of the kind of grace you get when you come to Jesus. Lavishing grace is grace that is longer and wider and higher and deeper than any of our sins. When we come to Christ, we are lavished with a covering of grace that forgives our sins forever. Like they never even happened. That's the kind of grace that's available to all of us this morning. But the kicker is the only way into that grace is to come like a child. And then finally, I want to care well for those of you this morning who've lost children in a miscarriage, in a stillbirth, or in infancy. Some of you may not know that Joanna and I fit into that miscarriage category. We have two children that we have never met. And so in just a few moments, I am going to use this text to share with you why I believe that one day Joanna and I will meet those two children in heaven. But to be perfectly honest with you, this isn't a text that is targeting parents. Now, I'm going to make an application to parents in just a moment, but this isn't a text that's primarily targeting parents. Notice it's Jesus targeting his disciples, his followers. And so if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, what happens in this story is for you. Because remember, way back in verse 1 of Mark chapter 10, we're told that crowds are coming to Jesus. They're surrounding Jesus. They want time with Jesus, to interact with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to hear from Jesus. And while he's teaching them, Parents are lining up to bring their children to him for him to bless them. And that wasn't unusual in Jesus' day. That happened frequently in Jesus' day. That parents would bring their children to the local rabbi. Or in this case, that the parents would bring their children to Jesus. It's a reminder that the greatest blessing and privilege any of us have as Christian parents is to do the same, is to bring our children to Jesus. Listen, Christian parenting isn't just about encouraging your children to get good grades so that they can earn that academic full-ride scholarship. It isn't just about teaching your son how to, th- how to throw a, a curveball. A sharp curveball so that someday he can play in the big leagues. It isn't just about what my dad did with us. By instilling within us a good and godly work ethic by mowing 20 lawns a week with us. Those are all good things, but those things are not the main thing. Bringing our kids to Jesus is. And that's why Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 says... To bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. The greatest blessing and privilege we have is to talk to our children and with our children about Jesus. 
is to bring them with us on Sundays and Wednesdays where they can learn about Jesus. It's modeling for them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's being living proof to them that there is no greater joy in this world, in this life, than the joys we find in Jesus. So bring your children to Jesus. Because as we learn here, He has a heart for them. They are a gift from Him, so they are not an inconvenience to Him. Listen, being a dad, I know that children have this built-in ability to turn a wonderful Walmart run into a nightmare. I know they have a way of interrupting a good night's sleep by walking into your room in the middle of the night and telling you they don't feel good and then proving it on the floor next to your bed. Any of you ever had a romantic dinner date with your spouse cut short because you had to come home and rescue the babysitter from your children? Children will inconvenience you, but children are not an inconvenience to you. They are God's gift to you. And yet, according to a 2019 NBC News Wall Street Journal poll, only 43% of Americans view having children as very important. 43%. That's a drop from 59% just two decades ago. In a 2017 article posted on Today.com, Anne Roderick Jones outlined the reasons she and her husband are making the conscious choice to remain childless. She writes this, As much as I'd love to pretend that I could easily do the mom, work, wife, travel, and friend thing, I don't think it's possible for me. The list of big life things that I do have and am trying to balance makes me very happy, and I know that something we love would have to give if we became parents. Now, I want to be clear here that I don't share that statistic or that quote to lob grenades at our contemporary culture. Because Jesus is not confronting and targeting his culture here. He's targeting the disciples here. He's targeting us. And there are probably times that we're a lot more like these disciples than we are like Jesus. Times when we view our children or other people's children as an inconvenience or an interruption, just like these disciples Because as more and more parents are getting in this line to bring their children to Jesus, the disciples begin rebuking the parents. They step between the parents and Jesus and they say, okay, moms and dads, enough already. Stop inconveniencing Jesus because your kids are interrupting Jesus. He's teaching some super significant stuff on God's kingdom And so we're going to shut this down right here, right now. Go away. And that sets Jesus off. 
He isn't just irritated or frustrated. He is livid, not with the parents, not with the children, with the disciples, his disciples. In fact, this is the only time this particular Greek word is used to describe Jesus' anger toward his disciples. It's a word that actually means to feel pain deeply. This hurts Jesus big time. That's why he responds emphatically and decisively and publicly. Notice this time Jesus does not pull his disciples aside privately to give them a quiet talking to. No, he says it loud and clear for everyone to hear. Boys, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. Do not get in the way of them coming to me. Jesus hurts deeply when his people say things and do things that keep people, and especially children, from coming to him. And this is where I hurt deeply too. This is where it gets personal for me, not just as a pastor, but as, as one who grew up in a church like this. Because some of the kids I grew up in church with and some of the kids I served as a youth pastor to in church no longer want anything to do with Jesus or his church. Now, I get that each individual bears responsibility for their own choices. I get that teens and 20-somethings can be quick to excuse their choices by shifting the blame to others. I get all of that. But I've been around long enough, and I've seen enough and heard enough in the church to know that there is some validity to what they say. Because what a child sees from adult followers of Jesus will in large part shape that child's view of Jesus. Let me repeat that. What a child sees from adult followers of Jesus will in large part shape that child's view of Jesus. Children have witnessed church members' meetings and business meetings where debates over the color of the carpet or the worship music or retiring the old church bus have turned downright ugly and sometimes demonic. They've seen grudge matches break out when forgiveness isn't requested or granted. They've been privy to conversations in the church lobby where an adult is trashing his boss at work or the police officer who pulled him over or the pastor he doesn't like. They've observed adults living one way in church and another way in the home. And Jesus doesn't just dislike that. He hates that. He's livid with that. And that's why he says, do not hinder the children from coming to me. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. And when Jesus brings the kingdom into the discussion, he's upping the ante. He's saying, guys... You need to understand that the little ones you are stopping from coming to me 
They have a place in the kingdom. They're a part of the kingdom. They are within the sphere of salvation over which God rules. Now that's super significant. Especially for those of us who have lost a child in a miscarriage or a stillbirth or had a little one die. Jesus is saying that before these little children get to the point of intellectually grasping their sin and their need for salvation, they belong to God's kingdom. Now that point in time where they can intellectually grasp what they need to grasp to be held responsible before God is a different point in time for every child. For me, I think it was probably around the age of four. But if you were to ask my parents, they'd be more than happy to tell you that before I turned four, I was still a dirty, rotten little sinner. It's what David says in Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I was born a sinner. I was conceived a sinner. And that's why our little grandson is showing signs at 11 months old that although he's so sweet and the coolest kid on the planet, he's not so innocent. You know why? Because he's already testing the boundaries that mom and dad are setting for him. He's getting into stuff that he knows is not for him and then he's turning around to peek at mom to see if she's watching him. 11 months old. He's a sinner. He came pre-programmed that way. They didn't have to teach him to do those things. It's firmly implanted in his DNA. And would you pray for his visit in just a few weeks that the pastor's grandson won't terrorize the church nursery? (laughs) Because Jesus is not saying here that little children belong to the kingdom because they're morally innocent or neutral. They're not. They're sinners. They're morally flawed. But God is just and good and does not hold them eternally responsible for the sin they cannot comprehend. That's why we have verses in the Bible like Deuteronomy 1 verse 39 and Jeremiah 19 verse 4 and Jonah 4 verse 11 because in those verses God differentiates between those who are intellectually conscious of their sin and those who cannot be because they're young. And that's why in 2 Samuel 12, verse 23, when King David's baby dies, David says, he can't come back to me, but I can and will go to him, to be with him. And when you pair what David says there with what Jesus says here, that to these little children belongs the kingdom of God, we have evidence that all babies go to heaven. Now, that doesn't mean they are saved by grace because they can't exercise saving faith. It means they are safe in grace, in the arms of God. But you know, this scene isn't just about little people. It's also about us big people because of what Jesus says next. Truly, I say to you guys, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Jesus is saying, listen, these little people are a picture of what it means for big people to come to me. 
There's only one way into God's eternal kingdom. You've got to come to me like a child. You've got to be utterly and entirely and completely dependent upon me. You've got to come to me empty-handed, bringing nothing and lacking everything. It's what we sing in the old hymn, Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's how we enter the kingdom. It's entirely a gift. It's utterly unearnable, completely undeservable, and totally unmeritable. That's why the one who opens his arms to these children opens his arms to us on the cross, saying, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and have no strength left. Come to me, all you who are tired and weary of attempting to carry your own sins and to attempt to work them off by what you do and who you are. Come to me just as you are, like a child. Not fixing yourself up, but coming to me to fix you up. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, on the cross, Jesus proves that he will welcome us and accept us and receive us like a child by taking our sins punishment for us. All of it. Forever. You believe that? You get that's the only way into God's kingdom is that he does all the work. He pays all the price. He is the big one, the strong one. We're the little and weak ones. And apart from him, we have no hope. But when we come to him, he is our hope. That's why Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All we, just like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to our own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. He takes our place. He pays the price. And that's why Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 say that it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. It's not of works lest any of us should boast. And so Acts 16, verse 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And that's why Galatians 3, verse 26 says, We are all the children of God by faith in Jesus. Are you a child of God this morning? Do you belong to Him? Have you come to Him, reaching out to Him in faith with empty hands? Depending entirely and completely and utterly on all that he is for you and all that he's done on your behalf and in your place. That's what it means to come into the kingdom of God like a child. You can only come one way. In faith. Would you come to Jesus? Right now, where you are, call out to him. Trust in him. And he will save you.
And when you come to Jesus like a child, then verse 18 is full of perpetual sustaining grace for you. Because the scene, notice, the scene does not conclude with the disciples' failure. The scene concludes with Jesus' grace. It ends with these disciples looking on as Jesus takes these children into his arms and he blesses them and he lays his hands on them. It's a picture for the disciples and for us of what he does and how he acts and responds when we come to him as children. He takes us up into his arms. He welcomes us. He blesses us. He prays over us and for us. This is us sitting in the lap of our Savior. Forever safe in the strong arms of Jesus. And when we grasp that we are all like children before God, we will have a special place in our hearts for children who are gifts from God. So let's talk about the significance of this scene for us as a people, us as a church, us us as adults and young people. Why does this scene matter to us? Let me give you three reasons. Number one, it's a call for us to be pro-children. It's a call for us to be pro-children in everything. In every way. And so Bethel Baptist Church is and will continue to be unashamedly pro-life and pro-adoption. Not in the name of politics, but in the name of Jesus. So regardless of what Washington, D.C. says or Springfield, Illinois does, the Bible makes it clear, and we stand unashamedly upon this, that life begins at conception. It's Psalm 139, verse 16, where again, King David writes, saying to God, your eyes saw my unformed substance. Conception, right there. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book, were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. In the first millisecond of life, before there was even a day in my mother's womb as an embryo or a fetus, yet there were days that were formed for me by my God. Wow. David is writing those words, and he's connecting personhood to conception. Notice all the personal pronouns he uses here. And so, because life begins at conception, an embryo or a fetus isn't just a random, meaningless glob of cells, it's a precious, meaningful life. Even those with Down syndrome or cerebral palsy or muscular dystrophy like two of my nephews. Or like the daughter who was born to my friends Naveen and Trina. Their baby Mary was born with a Massive, inoperable hole in her heart. She lived for six days. But those weren't wasted, meaningless days. Just ask mom and dad who wouldn't trade those six days for anything. 
Jesus calls us in this scene to be pro-children. And he calls us, secondly, to be all in on ministry to children. All in on ministry to children. Here at Bethel, we don't believe that children are second-class people because they can't give an offering or teach a Sunday school class or sing on the worship team. We don't believe what Whitney Houston once sang, that children are our future That one day they'll be essential to our church. We believe that children are our present and our now. And that's why years ago I am so thankful that this church saw fit to begin a Christian school. That's why so many of you who are teachers in this room give your hearts to your students in our school. Because one of the big ways to an adult's heart is through the life of their child. It was that way for my own grandparents. My dad, a pastor for more than 50 years, became a believer in Jesus as a young boy before either of his parents was a believer in Jesus. And as a young boy, he was instrumental in both of his parents professing faith in Jesus. And so I want to call our church, I want to lead our church to be all in on children's ministry. Let's care well for the littles in the nursery. Let's have a growing team of committed nursery volunteers who will serve the littlest ones like Jesus does. Let's encourage Pastor Josh, our children's pastor, and Pastor Dave, our youth pastor, by supporting their work as essential work. Let's pray for them. Let's come alongside of them. Let's help them point children and young people to Jesus. Children's ministry and youth ministry aren't relegated to parents or to pastors. And that's why this scene is thirdly a call for adults to cultivate meaningful relationships with children. Listen, cultivating meaningful relationships with children isn't just key to children coming to faith in Jesus. It's key to sustaining their faith in Jesus. Having been in, a previ- in previous ministries a youth pastor for more than 10 years, I've read study after study that tells us that kids who feel connected to adults who are not their parents, to adults in the church who are not their parents, those kids will stay in the church. And so when it comes to children in the church, it takes a village, the entire village, All of us in the village. Now, I get that that statement has political overtones. But the political realm has actually hijacked that terminology from the biblical realm. It's Titus chapter 2, which is all about the older men and older women knowing and mentoring and encouraging the younger generation. And I say that as a dad with two teenage daughters in this room this morning. I say that as a pastor who is, who is a pastor in large part because in the church I grew up in, adults knew me and mentored me and encouraged me. So Bethel, let's humble ourselves and serve our little ones like Jesus. Because as Jesus says here, the only way any of us come to Jesus is like they come to Jesus. 
So let's value children highly and love children deeply because to such belongs the kingdom of God. And we too are like children. And Jesus loves the little children. Amen. Father, may you take your word and apply it to our hearts and lives in a way that because of the grace you have given us in Jesus will transform us to be followers of Jesus. Can I ask you this morning, are you a follower of Jesus? Do you know him? There's only one way to come to him. Empty-handed, with open arms, in faith, trusting like a child. Jesus, to do all the work, to pay the price, to bring you into God's kingdom. Would you trust him right now? Would you believe that Jesus paid for your sins and died in your place on the cross and that he was, he was raised again for you? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And Christian, would you let this scene speak into your life even in the very practical way of how you look at children in Walmart or in the church, even when they're not your children. And would you remember that the only way you came to Jesus, to be received by Jesus, was like a child. In Jesus' name, amen.